Music is very, very old in Judaism. We previously did a class dedicated to the role of music in Judaism, but we have had music from the earliest times. We know Moses composed a number of songs in the Torah itself after the Exodus, he, notably the Song of the Sea. We know Miriam played music, played instruments to the Song of the Sea as she was singing Moses' sister. Moving forward to in temple times, we know the Levites would sing and play instruments in the temple, described in great detail, both in the book of Chronicles of in Shir Hashirim, in um, Divrei Hayamim, as well as in, um, the, uh, in the Talmud. Um, the Levites would play various different instruments in the temple. Many songs were composed over the years by Jews. Um, that made it into our scriptures. We have a number of different songs. We read on Rosh Hashanah, a song composed by Chana, the mother of the prophet Samuel. And we have a book called Tehillim, Psalms, and we did a class dedicated to Tehillim that has 150 songs that were composed. Many of them include also the instrument to which they are sung. So music was widely, was widely sung, widely composed. Um, it was used in the temple. It was certainly used on uh, pri- person, pe- people wrote personal music. Unfortunately, none of those early tunes have survived. Um, while the words of the, the lyrics have survived, the tunes have not. And that's likely because there were no music notes back then. They didn't have a way to write down tunes. They didn't have a way to write it down. And it, over the years, we lost a lot of those tunes. We did very early on also have a chant, a tune to chant the Torah called Ta'amei HaMikra, or in Yiddish it's often known better by its Yiddish term, Trop, which is the tune that we use when we chant the Torah. Now in the Gemara, in the Talmud, there's a debate as to how far back that chant goes. One opinion is that it goes all the way back to Moses. Another is, and goes all the way back to Hashem. In other words, when Moshe wrote the Torah, he wrote it to be sung and he taught it to Israel to be read with that chant. Others say that it was composed by the men of the great assembly in the days of Ezra, which is a thousand years after Moses. Now it's either 2,300 years old or 3,300 years old. But it's very, very old. We still know the Ta'ameh HaMikra. We still have the tune to which we sing and when we chant um, the Torah, we still have that tune, it's a chant that we sing, and we have, um, years later, they composed notes, um, the, they composed particular marks that are above or below the words of the, in the Chumash, in the book of the Torah, that you can use to be able to know exactly what notes go to each word. And once you know the trop, if you learn the ta'amim, you learn how to sing it, then you know what each thing stands for, then you're able to take any verse in the Torah or in Scripture, and you're able to sing it properly. Yes, Emily? Ta'amim in Sephardi are different from Ashkenazi. So which one is the word for it? The Sephardi and Ashkenazi are a little bit different, yes. They're fairly similar, though. They're a little bit different. They remain fairly similar. They're a little bit different. So now Ezra and the Great Assembly, they lived a thousand years after Moses, but 2,300 years ago, they created the basic structure that we have today. And we once did a class where we discussed about how, who, how prayers were created. I think we called it Who Invented the Prayer Book. Um, and we discussed where prayers came from and how they started the prayer system. 
Part of the prayer system that they created was that people are encouraged to pray with a minion, a quorum of 10 Jewish adult men. Now, the prayers originally were not generally written down, or if they were, they were written by hand because there were no printed books, which meant that people did not generally have copies of the prayer book. So either you had the prayers memorized, or you had to listen to somebody else pray. So what they would do is they would have people, everyone would pray themselves, and for those who knew how to pray, those who didn't know the prayers, those who didn't know how to pray, there would be a chazan or a leader. The leader would recite the prayers out loud and everyone would answer, Amen, listening to the leader saying the prayers. And this was done on regular days, on Shabbat, on special days like Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur that had special prayers. Um, on these special days that had these special prayers, so then it wasn't really, uh, it wasn't, people did, most people didn't know the prayers at all. Everyone would rely on the chazan to recite the prayers, and they would listen to the chazan, to the leader saying, these, uh, saying the prayers, and then they would just respond, um, Amen. Now, from the earliest times, we know that when this, the chazan would say the prayers out loud for everyone to listen to, um, especially on Shabbat or holiday, holidays, they didn't just read it, they didn't just say it. They would chant it or sing the prayers. And that is why the Talmud tells us that the person who leads the prayer should be someone with a good voice. It should be pleasant for the congregation to listen to the prayers being sung. So if they were just said, it didn't matter what kind of voice you had, but because they were sung, they needed to be sung nicely. So we don't know how they chanted the prayers in early times. Again, they did not have written notes. So it's hard to know. But that custom continued. Even once prayer books were more widespread, even once um, printing began, once printing began, anyone could go to the store and purchase a prayer book. And everyone could stand in the synagogue with a prayer book. It's a fairly new invention since printing. Before that, nobody had prayer books. Very few people, unless you spent the time writing it out by hand, right? So, uh, but now everyone has prayer books. Still, the chazan still leads the prayers. But today, when the chazan leads the prayers, the chazan still has, we have tunes that the chazan uses to lead the prayers. The tunes that we have today are thought to have begun about a thousand years ago. When the Ashkenazic and Sephardic customs really began diverging, we once did a class about how Ashkenazic and Sephardic um, customs diverged um, and when it started and how it evolved. So the um, tunes for the prayers are totally different. Ashkenazic communities generally all have almost identical tunes. Sephardic communities really varies from place to place. Each place has totally different tunes. Um, that presumably developed in each place over time. The Ashkenazic tunes that we have that are used by all Ashkenazic Jews today developed in France and Germany during the medieval period. The tunes that were used were referred to as Nusach HaTfilah. Nusach HaTfilah can be the version of prayer. In other words, the wording of the prayers is sometimes referred to as Nusach HaTfilah. And then the tunes that are used are also referred to as nusach. 
Now, the tunes really involve, of Nusach involve two parts to them. There is what we could call the chanted Nusach, the prayers that are chanted to a tune. In other words, it's really a chant. It's not a song. It's more of a chant, um, or a kind of, uh, it's more chanted. But they, they're chanted in a particular form, with particular notes, so it's chanted to a tune. That's referred to often as Nusach the tune of the prayers. Then there's also some parts of the prayers that are sung. There's a song that the prayers are sung to, which is a lot more musical, more notes involved than just a chant. Um, these songs are particularly common for special occasions, Rosh Hashanah, so regular Shabbat, it's all Nusach, there's no real songs for the prayers to go with a regular Shabbat. Um, but on special occasions, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Slichot, special Shabbatot of the year, there would be special tunes, songs, that they would sing the prayers to. Prayers with special tunes, it was usually the main prayers, the important prayers, would include the Kaddish, the Kaddish is probably the most notable of the prayers that have special tunes. And the Kaddish, although there's a couple different types of Kaddishim, but the Kaddish, it's the, at least the first part of the Kaddish is the same every time. The Kaddish has many different tunes. It has a separate tune for each prayer, for the evening prayer on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, for the morning prayer, for the Musaf prayer, for the Ne'ilah prayer on Yom Kippur, for the Slichot prayer that we recite before Rosh Hashanah, each one um, for the um, special Tal and Geshem, for the Dew and Rain prayers on Passover and Shemini Atzeret, each Kaddish has its own unique tune, its own unique song that it goes to. Um, there's also songs for other important parts of the prayer, Hamelech, which is the opening prayer on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur morning services, the Kedusha, the, um, which is the... Um, when the counter and congregation, um, re- the responsive uh, invoking the praises of the angels from Isaiah and, and, and Ezekiel, the Aleno prayer that is recited, not the Aleno at the end of the prayers, but the Aleno prayer that is recited as part of the um, Amida on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Um, we recite the Aleno prayer. We did a class a little while ago about the Aleno prayer. So these songs are universal among all Ashkenazic Jews, both the Nusach, meaning the chant, as well as the songs, are all are universal among Ashkenazic Jews. And they seem to be in place at least since the 14th century, these songs as we have them. So they're already referred to and spoken about and discussed. We don't even have notes from back then, but we have at least mention of them um, going back to already the 14th century. These songs that we sing to the Kaddish and to the various other prayers are known in Yiddish as Skarbova. No one knows exactly what Skarbova means. Some people maybe think it comes from the word for sacred in Latin. Sometimes it's also referred to as Nigunim Misinai, songs from Sinai. Now they probably don't go all the way back to Mount Sinai, but it's an expression, they're ancient traditional songs that Jews have always sung. Rabbi Yehuda Leib Molin, known as the Maharil, was a rabbi in Worms in the late 13, early 1400s. He was a great sage. He was also a chazan. 
He was also a great chazan. And he warned against changing any of these songs. You have to know these songs very well, know the exact notes, sing them properly, and not to change any of these songs. Now, many of these songs, both of the Nusach of the chant, and particularly the Skarbava songs, the tunes that we sing, are very difficult tunes. And to sing them, it requires someone who has really good control of their voice to sing them properly. So this led to a unique role of Chazanim. Chazan was originally the leader that led, Chazan actually in Hebrew means leader, the leader that led the prayers. But the Chazan then became not just a leader, but a singer. Given that most people don't, cannot carry their voice very well, can maybe sing a basic tune, can sing a regular song. But if you get to a complex song that where the notes really move, have very high notes, um, or, uh, or, or difficult notes, then mo- many, most people cannot sing it. Only a select few know how to. So the chazan then became a great role. Those that knew how to carry their voice, those that had good voice control, were able to then lead the prayers. They were the ones who were then... Uh, had the honor of being the chazan, of leading the prayers, especially for special occasions, on festivals, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which have the most of these prayers are found, of these songs are found on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So it became a very prestigious job in Ashkenazic communities. Um, Much later in Sephardic communities, their tunes are generally a lot easier, uh, but it became a very prestigious prayer for uh, a very prestigious job for the person who has the good voice, you want someone with a good voice, and who has good control of their voice to sing the, these, to lead the prayers and sing the songs, and that became known as chazonos. Chazonos, the songs, the tunes that, we would, that the chazon would sing. So this lasted for hundreds of years in Ashkenazic Jewish communities throughout Europe. But this is all across Europe, singing the same tunes that started in France and Germany where Ashkenazic Jews began, and as Ashkenazic Jews moved eastwards, all these prayers, all these tunes, all these chants all traveled with them, and the skill of the chazan traveled with them as well. And every community, every shul had one, two, maybe a few people who had good voices and knew how to carry their voice and were very familiar with the tunes and would lead the prayers on a regular Shabbat, but particularly on the festivals and on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur when you need a special, uh, when you need to have good control of your voice to be able to sing these prayers well. The ninth, fast forward to the 19th century. Now the 19th century, after Napoleon's defeat, saw really a very quick modernization of Europe, which led to a modernization of many Jewish communities, especially in Central and Western Europe. It was also, along with the Industrial Revolution that began in the early 19th century, it saw the beginning of an urbanization of Jews. Before that, Jews had lived mostly in what we call the shtetl, little villages, little towns, um, where they were small-time merchants or craftsmen um, or um, traders, now Jews were uh, now Jews were moving to bigger cities where they could build bigger businesses. Um, you could build factories. Jews could get jobs in factories. Right, factories were springing up all over Europe. Jews were moving to bigger cities, um, taking advantage of the industrial um, revolution. And along with the bigger cities came also the arts, grew, operas 
showed up in bigger cities, operas and theaters. Uh, the arts grew in these bigger cities. There's a lot of young people around. And so Chazanim, with outstanding voices, began to sing much more elaborate opera-style tunes within their prayers. Some Chazanim had really good voices and created, or could sing really, really nice opera-style songs, began to be paid by wealthy communities to sing for them. And so instead of the volunteer, prestigious role in the community of the Chazan, it was someone who had a good voice, could carry their voice really well, knew the nusach, knew the traditional tunes, and um, would lead the, the prayers, and that would be a prestigious role. Um, it became, in some places, they would hire someone who had a very unique voice, who was able to carry their tina really, really well, who was able to, um, was able to sing very nicely. These chazani were getting paid for their job. They made sure to do it really well. They started to compose opera tunes to go along with the various parts of their prayers. Now, of course, in a traditional Jewish synagogue, there is no musical accompaniment. It is forbidden to play musical instruments on Shabbat and on festivals, including Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So at the time, now I should mention, by the 19th century, there were many synagogues, especially in Western Europe, already breaking with Jewish tradition, that were reforming Jewish tradition. But traditional synagogues, and the Chazans mostly thrived in the traditional synagogues, where people wanted to pray. Um, So the traditional synagogues had no music. That made the job of the Chazan much harder. It was much harder than an opera, because you had no music. He had to sing without accompanying music. The chazan himself was the only entertainment. So many chazanim began to use what was called mishorim, or tenors, who would sing responsively with them. They would have one, two, three people who would respond to them as they would sing. Respond with the amen, respond with other parts of the prayers. It both enhanced the prayers, it made it sound even better, a lot of money was going into this by now. And it also, um, it also gave the chazan a little break. They have a few seconds to break their voice while the tenor is saying their part, singing their part. So they brought in these tenors. And then with time, many large, so many chazanim began to, many large shuls began to bring professional choirs that were then trained to sing alongside the professional chazan. As Jewish communities, especially in the very big cities in Europe, grew, and there were within these Jewish communities very wealthy Jews that had succeeded and done well uh, in the fastly industrializing Europe, Um, many communities, and especially with emancipation, that allowed Jews for the first time to build large synagogues. Before that, Jews were banned from building a synagogue that was larger than the church. So in all, all Europe... But once there was emancipation, Jews could do whatever they wanted. Many Jewish, communi- many Jewish communities, they built these massive, big, beautiful synagogues. This is mostly in the late 1800s, early 1900s. They built these big, beautiful synagogues. And in most of these synagogues, they would hire as a wealthy community, of course, that paid for this big, beautiful synagogue. And they would hire these high-end famous chazanim with beautiful voices that could carry very, very difficult notes. And together with that, these synagogues would usually put next to the chazan's lectern, they would, the amud, as it's called, they would put a place for the choir to stand. 
And these synagogues became known as choral synagogues, choral for the choir. Um, choral for the choir that they, that was, that they had. Uh, and almost every major city in Europe um, by, by, the, by 1914, almost every major city in Europe had a choral synagogue, a large synagogue, at least one, some had a couple, a large synagogue with a professional chazan, with a choir that would um, sing, and the, at least the wealthy members of that synagogue, uh, they're usually just for wealthy Jews, would be able to come to their high holiday services and enjoy the singing of the chazan and his great choir. Now, not everyone was thrilled with this growing new industry of chazanus in the 19th century. Many rabbis decried it. It was taking away from the solemnness of the prayer. Prayer is supposed to be a very serious time. It's a time when you speak to God. You tell God what you need. And instead, they were singing. It was a show. Now, um, the original Nusach chant and the Skarbava songs were solemn prayers. They added to the solemnness of the moment. They were very powerful songs. They inspired people. But many felt Chazanus was just entertainment. Now, of course, there were many who felt the opposite. They felt that the Chazan, with his beautiful voice and beautiful tunes, inspired them. They felt it was inspiring. I guess it's all a matter of perspective. But there were also many that were particularly concerned because they felt that the Chazanus, the, chaza, the Chazanim themselves, were taking away from the original Nusach. Instead of chanting it in the original tune, instead of singing the original Skarbava songs, the original traditional songs that go all the way back hundreds of years that we had been singing, they were putting in all these new tunes, taking away from the old stuff. And so therefore they encouraged Chazanim, if they are going to add new opera piece, opera-like pieces to their tunes, to their prayers, to add to the original Nusach. Don't change the Nusach, but add to it. Use the regular Nusach and interrupt in between with a little piece here, a little piece there. And those things like the Kaddish or the Kedusha or those things where, or the Hamelech, those places where we have our own original tunes, the Skarbava tunes that we've had for hundreds of years, don't make any songs over there. Don't add any new pieces there. You could maybe adjust it slightly, but don't, don't, don't change those things. Right? You could add to it maybe a little bit here and there. You could put a little... You know, go a little higher here and there. It's not going to hurt. But don't change the original tunes. And so Chazanim generally kept to that, where they would keep the original Nusach, they would keep the original tunes for the prayers that had these special tunes, and, but they would add in other places, and certain spots of the prayer became famous for Chazanim um, writing their tunes to certain very specific spots that they like to write their tunes to, um, certain parts of the Rosh Hashanah, Musaf. Um, they would add, uh, the, so, some of the verses that are quoted there, they would add tunes to. In the, on the Yom Kippur prayers, one of the most traumatic parts of the Yom Kippur prayer is a poem, Ela Eskara, where we describe, and we did a class about it a little while ago, where we describe ten sages that were martyred by the Romans, and so it's a very, very moving poem. And so the Chazanim would add their um, pieces to the Ela Eskera prayer. And there are dozens and dozens of known, of, of 
pieces of, that were composed to, these, to the particular Ela Eskara prayer. Another issue a lot of people had with Chazanus was that many Chazanim, in order to make it flow better, would repeat the words of the prayer in their song. You kind of, you'd repeat the same words again and again. Now it's forbidden to repeat words in prayer. You've got to read it as it says. You don't let it repeat your own words. You can't just repeat a word again and again. So they banned Chazanim from repeating words, and indeed most Chazanim stopped doing that, um, stopped repeating the words of the prayer, and created their tunes in a way that they didn't have to repeat the words of the prayers, um, but they could just read the prayers through. By the early 20th century, music reels were invented and were becoming popular. Um, then it became possible now for Chazanim, like any other singer, to record, have their music recorded in a studio, and then they could sell these reels and people could buy them and listen to them. And this was a whole, opened a whole new world because it allowed Chazanim to have their voices spread all across the Jewish world. It wasn't only that the Jews in your town knew that you were a great singer, or maybe sometimes Chazanim would travel around and do shows in different places or move around a little bit, but now you could sell your tapes, your, your original reels, you could sell them all over. Later became records, um, and you could sell your records, and many Chazanim created records, and they could hear the beauty of your voice. voice. Not only that, your compositions. It used to be each Chazan just had their own composition. If someone heard it, they could copy it. Now, you could sell them. You could record them and sell them. And so the compositions, everybody has them. Right? They're widely available. Uh, this was also a period Jews came to the United States, Jews in the United States. At least some of them succeeded within a generation or two and did very well for themselves and could afford to build big, beautiful shoals and hire very expensive chazanim with unique voices. And so this was really, as well as many Jews in Western Europe were doing the same. And so this period became known as the, um, it's often referred to as the golden age of chazanus. Many, many great chazanim rose during that time. People like Yossela Rosenblatt, Zavol Kwartin, Gershon Siroda, Moshe Kosovitsky, um, Moshe Oisher were some of the very, very famous chazanim from this period. All of them recorded their music, and all of them, their music was sold and is still available today, of course, on Spotify. You could get all, or on iTunes, you could get all their music is widely available. So this period, about 1920 to 1950, is known as the golden age of the chazanim. The compositions of those chazanim from, those period, from that period remain still today the widely used chazanus compositions that are still used today in many, many, many synagogues. Well, for some reason, following the 1950s, um, chazanus lost its shine. Um, many larger congregations in the United States, which was the largest and wealthiest Jewish community in the world, moved away from Jewish tradition. Um, together with that, their congregants no longer cared much for, for the prayers and were uninterested, therefore, in chazanus. There were chazanim, but they were not very popular or greatly appreciated. Shuls did have them, and they did pay for them. But in the last 30 years or so, there's been a huge resurgence of chazanus. There's been a renewed interest in them. 
with a rise of a number of very, very big chazanim. There are shuls today, that large shuls in this country and elsewhere, that hire highly skilled chazanim with outstanding, unique voices, chazanim who can command huge six-figure sums um, uh, or higher for their, for their work. And most large shuls today try to, to hire a talented chazan. Today, with streaming music, all chazanis is easily readily available. You can get them all on iTunes, both from the old chazanim, from, the, from 100 years ago, as well as from the, that recorded their music on reels and records, as well as the chazanim today all have their music is widely available. You can go on iTunes or Spotify, and there's a genre on Spotify, chazanis, where you can get every Chazan, and you could listen to it. Today, there's many famous Chazanim, including Yitzchak Meir Helfgott, Naftali Hershtik, Ben Zion Miller, or some of the very, very famous Chazanim today. Um, but there's definitely been a resurgence in Chazanus. And today, every synagogue hires people who can, will sing the tunes. We still have allegiance to our original tunes, our Nusach, our chant, the way we chanted the prayers, the tunes, the way the... Um, uh, the way the prayers were um, historically, uh, the, the way the prayers were historically sung throughout our history, um, we, uh, so, so we, 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 uh, we try to keep to that, and yet we have many, many new tunes. In addition to the original Skarbava tunes, we have many new tunes that were created by Chazanim that are sung, sometimes just songs that are sung to prayers, new songs that are sung to prayers, but ultimately the goal is for us to be inspired by our prayers. And while the chazanas may be enjoyable to listen to, the real goal is that Yom Kippur or any other holiday should be inspirational and that our prayer should be inspirational, that we should focus on teshuva, on changing our ways and turning back to Hashem and that Hashem should grant us all a sweet year. We should be sealed, gemar chatimatova, sealed for a good year. Amen. So we'll be back next week. Again, we said we're going to be in the sukkah. And um, we will...